name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that for me, the prayers, the comments, and all the things happening this morning have been turning my heart to God. I hope it has for you as well. I want to start this morning with a comment about last week's sermon. I spent most of the time last week talking about three commands for us to voluntarily submit to the government, to submit at work, and to submit at home. But those commands lead to a question. How do you and I voluntarily submit to these authorities, because these are flawed authorities, when our natural instinct is to want to control everything in our lives? And the answer is, you and I can't on our own. We can't do it. The key is us trusting God, that you and I choose to trust God and see that God is all-powerful, that he's wise, And that he's good. And then we ask God for the strength and wisdom so that we can submit in a way that pleases God. Now, let me say this. I was speaking to someone after the sermon last week, and they're the ones that highlighted this idea. So thank you. I enjoy getting comments back, by the way, on the sermon, even if you disagree. Now, I share this comment about trust because... We need this same encouragement to trust God today as we look at the rest of 1 Peter 3 and all of chapter 4 and the topic of suffering. So we're working our way through the book of 1 Peter. We're looking at suffering. You should have figured that one out already because almost everybody's been talking about it. Well, the Bible, as you look at it, gives us the most realistic perspective on the world that we live in. Our world includes good and beauty, love, God's mercy, and so much more of that. But it also includes brokenness, evil, sin, hatred, and rebellion. And today's verses reflect that mixed perspective. And it's not going to be necessarily an enjoyable sermon, so let me ask you this, do not tune out, because we all need this, because what we're hearing today is needed. And I was somewhat surprised as I was preparing the sermon. I'm looking at about a chapter and a half, and I found that suffering is mentioned 11 times in just that chapter and a half. That is a lot. So it's definitely something that Peter and God want us to look at. Another thing to remember as we're looking at suffering, that's a pretty big topic. It includes Everything from irritations and struggles and distress and difficulties and pain and grief. But we experience this on a whole spectrum, all the way from the small daily irritations that sometimes just kind of slide right past us to the major life-changing kinds of suffering. When you look at the Bible, it talks about suffering in general. And today's verses apply to that. But today's verses especially apply to suffering as a Christian, that is, suffering in doing good. Now, every culture provides or offers some perspective on suffering and how to deal with the suffering. So let me give you just four views very quickly so you can see a sense of what, there we are, uh, of what different cultures say. 
First one says that suffering comes from failure to live rightly. So the answer is pretty obvious. The solution, live rightly and you'll suffer less. The second one has a little surprise in it. It says that suffering comes from unfulfilled desires. Well, you think from our culture that the answer is, well, of course, then the answer is to fulfill those desires. But no, this is an Eastern view. It says, "Uh uh-uh. No, that's not the answer. The answer is to get rid of your desires. Don't desire at all. Third one says, suffering comes from fate. It is just unavoidable. But the good person is going to face suffering bravely. The fourth view says that suffering comes from this conflict between cosmic forces of good and evil. And so you should do good, add to that good side so that it can beat the evil side out. Well, each of these views also gives uh, some purpose to suffering. But this, is, uh, this next thought isn't, uh, comes just from Christian thinkers, but also from others just looking at Western culture. And they say that in contrast to this, Western culture doesn't. Doesn't give an answer, doesn't help you really much at all. And I really like, I found this week, this one writer that says this. It is because the meaning of life in the United States is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom that suffering is so traumatic for Americans. Let me say that again. I'm quoting from him. It is because the meaning of life in the United States is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom. That's what's held up as this is your best. Pursue pleasure and personal freedom. Because that has been done, suffering is so traumatic for Americans and for any others that adopt this worldview as well. Well, the Bible very clearly shows that God's plan for every one of us includes suffering. So everybody falls into one of two places right now. Maybe you or someone you know are in the middle of suffering right now. If you are, you're wanting to hear some words that help comfort. If you're not in the middle of suffering right now, then you or someone you know will be suffering at some point in the future, and that's because we cannot escape it. That person is probably wanting some perspective. How do I think about this? How do I prepare? What can I do so that when it does come, I'm better ready to deal with it? Well, our verses today offer God's perspective, offer God's direction, talking about his instruction, and then God's hope in suffering. There's one other thought that I want you to get. This is a big one. I'm going to stomp my foot and put it on the screen. In today's sermon, I am asking all of you to take a step with me towards embracing suffering and struggles as a part of the normal Christian life. Now, let me say two things. When I say embrace suffering, I'm not telling you to go look for it. Okay? I'm not saying that it's wrong to try to find relief when suffering does come. But if it comes and there, there isn't any relief or you, you're not totally relieved of the situation, if you can't avoid it, don't run. Because that's what our culture says. Run from it. Pay whatever you have to to get rid of it. Don't. So that's the sense of embracing, but also this thought. And here I'm speaking to people that have been in the church a while. When I say embrace, I don't mean embrace just in your theology. Oh, yes, we should um, 
go with this idea that I'm going to talk to you about. When I say about our theology, you see, there's what we say we believe. There's what we believe. This is what we actually do in our attitudes daily. And for all of us, we can't help it. There's usually at least some disconnect between the two. Okay? Integrity says we're beginning to try to close the gap between what we say we believe and what we do. But embracing, I'm saying embrace, walk with this so that in my own daily thoughts and attitudes, I'm trying to be shaped by what God says about suffering and dealing with it, which is not easy for us to do. So that's the introduction. Let's read together a portion of our verses. This is 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 18. Remain seated, remain seated and let's read it from the screen. Let's read together. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that's the beginning of this chapter and a half, but it's the last verse of chapter 4, the very end of this section, that gives us a really good summary of the primary message of our verses. And so here it is, chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, while doing good. So what I want to do in the rest of the sermon is take six verses that talk about suffering, six out of those 11 occurrences of suffering, and use that to shape the remainder of the sermon. But mixed in with those six verses are about suffering are three blocks of encouragement, three times that we're encouraged to do good, that is to obey God, and there are three mentions of God's judgment. So here's the first one, chapter 3, verse 14. If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So you see how he begins, if you should suffer. Well, to me, this hints that the Christian life is not constant suffering. And I think that's the experience for most of us. Life isn't just suffering. But it is easy when we do suffer to get tunnel vision and to see only what we want to be rid of. When we do that, when all we see is the problem that's in front of us, we forget that God is good, we forget that God gives us good things and that God does us good. Peter says, when he talks about suffering, he says he talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. That is, to suffer for obeying God. Now, I believe that God was purposefully vague here when he had Peter write this, because suffering can take many forms. Let me give just two examples. One example, in some countries, Christians are put in prison 
because they're Christians and because they're worshiping God with other Christians and they refuse to renounce their faith. Well, let's get something a little bit closer to home. An example I used from last week, the timesheet. Let's say that you're at work and you're asked to falsify your timesheet at work and your response to your supervisor is, no, I will not, I cannot, because of my Christian faith. Well, you might be gossiped about. I told, talked a little bit about this last week. You might be shunned. Somebody might tell you, your boss, you are not a team player. What are they doing there? They're, in a sense, trying to attempt to shame you into complying, to follow along. Well, verse 16 in our verses talks about the Christian being slandered and reviled for their good behavior. So your obedience to God is being called evil. But notice what Peter says. He says, if you suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, you will be blessed. We normally don't connect the two, suffering and bless. Okay? It seems counterintuitive to put to them together. We think of blessings as enjoyable. And here God is saying that something difficult and painful is for our good. You can call this an uncomfortable grace. You've actually heard that phrase already this morning. Now, Peter follows this verse with the command, don't be afraid. And he does that because it is easy to fear suffering because you know it's painful. Peter then goes on with the encouragement, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. A Christian's response to suffering, if we are trusting God, will not be one of complaining and self-focus. It's going to be, uh, a response will be hope in God. But notice I put the if there. I put the if because it's very easy for us to not to choose to trust God, to actually to distrust him when the suffering comes. But it is hope in God, it is trust in God, in particular, trusting that God is good and that God's in control that actually enables Christians to endure and to obey God in the face of the opposition. Then verse 17. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is similar to last week's verse about the employee that suffers for their sin at work. They've done something wrong, they've been lazy, they've just done something that they shouldn't have, and they, get, they have problems with it because of it. Well, you and I get no credit for suffering through consequences that we deserve. And Peter basically says that in our verses from last week. Here he talks about if it should be God's will that we suffer. And when you look at all of our verses today, taken together, they show us that God's will for us includes suffering at times. Then in verse 18, Jesus is given as our example. We see that Jesus suffered for our sin. Peter says, Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now here's an amazing thing. What happens to Jesus when we talk about his death and resurrection, physically happened to Jesus, happens to us spiritually. When Jesus suffered and died and rose again in a way that you and I cannot fully understand, he somehow connected us with him so that when he died, the power of our sinful, selfish nature, our flesh, the Bible calls it, was broken and we were given spiritual life. 
And what we see is that God redeems suffering, that he gives purpose to suffering. It isn't purposeless. And I was really surprised, this was a few years ago, one of the leading um, proponents for evolution was talking about evolution and talking about suffering, and he basically said, from his point of view, the cosmos is this big machine just running, and there is no purpose, and if you suffer, too bad. It doesn't care. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is a depressing idea of what he's saying. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Well, that just immediately had me ask the question, what is Jesus' way of thinking? Well, you find that in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, our natural way of thinking is to promote ourselves, to defend ourselves, and to seek our comfort. But look at what you see in these verses. Jesus is God the Son. He's in heaven. He's where it's perfect. And he leaves that. God becomes like his creatures in order to rescue us. And in doing that, he comes into a broken world and he experiences the the brokenness and the suffering that you and I experience. But then, as we see, he goes further. He humbles himself, not just to become a man, but to serve us, to suffer and to die so that we could be rescued. Jesus' delight was to obey God the Father. This was Jesus' way of thinking. Well, Peter goes on in chapter 4, verse 1, and says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So that phrase there, cease from sin, doesn't mean that some, if something particular happens, you and I are just done with sin, it doesn't bother us, we don't do it anymore. It doesn't say that. It means that we're not living sinfully as a way of life. But think about this. This is what the Bible tells us. Anybody you know, pick the best person you know. But they're not a Christian. They're very good. Maybe even a better uh, child at home, husband or wife, worker than you and I are. Yet in their hearts, they have said no to God. And so their way of life is a sinful way of life. Peter's not, so he's not saying that we're done with all of that. It means we, as Christians, are no longer living simply as a way of life. But he also points us in the verse to remind us of what God has done for us through Jesus. That he paid the debt for our sin. That Jesus satisfied God's justice. That Jesus rescued us. That he gave us spiritual life. And he obtained in it for us an eternal inheritance. And so when you and I, in response to God's love and Jesus' sacrifice for us, follow Jesus' example, this is what the verse is telling us. When we respond 
and follow Jesus' example and turn from our own selfishness to serve God, then we are willing to suffer for God's sake and we're willing to suffer for others. Then Peter gives a contrast. He talks about people who are indulging all of their senses with total disregard to God's law. And these people are upset with you if they know you why you aren't participating with them. And then Peter reminds us they're going to be judged by God. They're going to be held accountable. And when they stand before God, they will have no defense. Because Romans 1 makes it very clear we are all without excuse before God. But elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that those who respond to God's love with loving obedience will be told, well done by God at that same judgment. And then it's almost a side note. In verse 7, Peter says, we're in the last times. Now, that was true 2,000 years ago. It is true today. Jesus could come at any time, and we don't know when that will be. So it prompted me to think of a question, ask the question of myself. Do you and I live with the awareness that heaven could be just a breath away? Do we? Verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Well, I've already said, our Western culture does not like suffering, and it does not help us deal with suffering either. Okay? But here's the thing. It is hard for you and I, because we live in this culture, to not be influenced by our culture. Our natural response to suffering and pain isn't embracing it. It isn't. It, it's cynicism. It's despair. It's anger. Why is this happening to me? It's resentment, touchiness. Now, these last two, and there's more others that come, they're the more socially acceptable you know, when, when something is going on and you're just touchy or grumpy. You use the word grumpy more often when people are older. Okay? But you get the idea. You just, you know, the littlest thing will set you off. And you're going off because you just don't like what's going on. We, our natural attitude is that suffering interrupts our life. Okay? The unstated implication is, well, of course my, natural, my life should not include any suffering. Where do we get that from? We've already seen what the Bible tells us and what reality shows us is that suffering is a part of our life. Now, some suffering and difficulties are put on us. We don't ask for it. We don't look for it. And we don't have any choice. And in some of those times, you're not sure, should I laugh or cry? I had this, uh, this tr really happened with somebody that I worked with some years ago when I was a contractor. He came into work one day and he said, somebody stole my car out of my driveway. He had a minivan. Well, he had installed LoJack on the car, which is, allows the authorities to track the car when it's in range of one of their receivers. Well, authorities picked up the signal from his car as it was being taken into New York City. Now, he 
he lived in Reston. Okay? So it got carted 500 miles, you know, up to New York City. Police raided it very soon after they got the signal and found it had been taken to a chop shop. This group of people stole cars, they took them apart, and sold the parts for money. And at, when they raided, his car, even though it had just been brought in, they'd already started on it. And they weren't being nice when they did it. it they broke a lot of stuff as they were taking it apart. He gets his car back. It gets taken to the dealer. I think it took a month, three, at least three weeks, maybe four weeks, for all the repairs to be made. He's called. The car is all done. It's almost good as new. He goes and he picks it up. He is driving it out of the dealership when somebody runs a red light and smashes into his car. What do you do? You either laugh or you cry. Okay? Some suffering is just put on us. But as Christians, we are also called to voluntarily walk into suffering and inconvenience for the sake of others just as Jesus did for us. So again, like I said earlier, I'm asking you to take a step with me towards embracing suffering and struggles as a part of the normal Christian life, both the, the kinds that, are, that come on us we didn't ask for and the ones where God says, prompts us and say, okay, take a step here. Inconvenience yourself, maybe even suffer in some ways so you can help this other person. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So Peter's talking about suffering for obeying God, which means you're suffering at the hands of somebody else who is ignoring or twisting God's word. They're calling what God says is good. They're calling it evil. And a natural form of manipulation is to shame someone who disagrees with you to try to get them to comply. And Peter's basically saying, let the shame slide off. Instead, give glory to God. Now, as I already mentioned, you and I are not to seek suffering for the sake of suffering, but when it comes, he tells us to trust him, to thank God for all he does and all he gives us, and to praise God for his goodness. Now, if you've ever looked at early Christian the the history of the early Christian church. One of the things that happened in the 200s and 300s especially was there was persecution of the Christians by the Roman government. And you might have wondered, why did they ever do that? Well, they did it because Christianity was a threat to the cohesion of the Roman Empire. The Romans built their empire by conquering nations and kind of sticking them together, and they held them together through the power of the army and through the power of their government. And they allowed freedom of religion, but what they didn't want, and they, they, they didn't really like the Jews and the Jews having just the one religion and one God and you couldn't worship anybody else, but they were ethnic. There, there was a, a natural limit because frankly, most of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people in the Roman Empire, didn't like the Jews, and it was mutual. But Christianity was different because it crossed all the bounds. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, people from all different religions becoming Christians, and they're saying the same thing. There's only one God, you cannot worship any others. And part of what held the Roman Empire together was this willingness 
for you to worship whichever God you wish, as long as you're willing to respect the other religions and to worship the emperor. And it was the emperor worship that was, they thought was helping to hold things together. And so that's why they came down so hard on Christians. And those Christians, some of them, were sent to their deaths in the arena because they refused to worship the emperor. But when they did, those Christians, many of them praised God that they could die for his name. And so when they were brought before the Roman government officials and they were both threatened and shamed, they were said, you are not good Roman citizens if you are a citizen. And if you don't do this, you're going to die. And their response when they were asked to forsake Christianity was, Jesus died for me. He suffered and died for me. How can I do any less for him? And so God used the lives of the Christians and their deaths as they obeyed God, as they lived the gospel. And the result was the whole Roman Empire was changed by it. And their choice of those Christians showed that God was first in their lives. Now we come to verse 17, our last verse and the summary. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It is God's plan for us to suffer at times. All the time, but especially when we're suffering and have the difficulty, we're told entrust our souls to God. That is, choose to trust God, to depend on him. The alternative, I saw it this, just this week watching a TV show. It was talking about, it wasn't about COVID, but COVID and, and pieces were pretty heavily in it. This one character was very distressed because her sister had lost her job, had to move back with her mom, which was not a good thing. They did not get along very well, and so the tension there was bothering her. And then her mom gets sick. And she's afraid if her mom goes in the hospital, nobody will be able to visit her. And she's sharing all this with a friend. And the friend just kind of smiles and says to her, look to yourself. You are strong. And I remember actually sitting up in my chair and groaning out loud when this person said this, thinking, saying, really? That's what I'm supposed to do. Look to myself. How well is that going to work? Rather than trusting God. And trust your soul to God who is a faithful creator. God is working to transform us. And while we're trusting him, he tells us, obey God, do good. Now, I said at the beginning that in our verses we find perspective, direction, and hope perspective. You and I cannot escape suffering. It's a part of life on this earth, and it's under God's control. Direction. Messages, the message from the verses are clear. Trust God and obey him, and then hope. Look at what God is doing in us through the suffering that he gives and allows. Suffering is a kind of fire that God uses to refine us, the picture of gold being refined to burn off the moral dross in us, our sin. God uses suffering to loosen our grip on the things of this world. And we've already had the reminder earlier in the service that Christians get to spend, all of us will spend eternity somewhere, somehow. 
Christians get to spend eternity with God. And that is so much better than anything we can imagine. But it begins with spending life with God here, now. And then God is walking us, you and I, on the same path that Jesus walked, where Jesus voluntarily chose to suffer in many ways in order to do us good. And God wants to use us to do good to others. God is honored when you and I endure the suffering that that we encounter by trusting him and depending on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for your care. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of your truth. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have a song, but can we cut it just a little short? Let's go ahead and sing part of it. And then we have uh, our prayer requests, and we'll close.